You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now, to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Dylan Terriman and Alex Barallo. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of Jet Nation Radio. These are your hosts, Alex Barallo and Dylan Terriman. Dylan, how are we doing tonight, buddy? I'm doing really good, man. I mean... If there's any Jets fan not doing really good coming out of this weekend, I'm not quite sure what to tell you. I mean, I personally was wrong in my prediction, but I don't think I've ever been happier to be wrong before in my life. So I'm excited to get in and break this class down a little bit. Absolutely. Uh, fantastic weekend. Um, like you said, if you can't be satisfied with what Joe Douglas and company has done, um, maybe this team isn't for you because right now, We've been dwelling in the bottom of the basement of the NFL for quite some time, and I know this is a narrative that happens every year. You know, we always get hopeful, and we make these projections, and, you know, some people fabricate, you know, stuff that's like fantasy talk with our players, but I can confidently say, and and I've said this before in, in recent weeks, that this draft was going to be a pivotal pivotal point to when this team turned things around and went in the right direction. And I absolutely have to say, I think this is where it all begins. Uh, Joe Douglas has been slowly putting together his team since he came and absorbed this roster uh, a couple years ago after Mike McCagnin. You know, people said that he had one of his best drafts and then he was showed out the door. Joe Douglas comes in and he's given this hot mess of a team and he's slowly been putting his roster together. And I can clearly say that I'm very, very excited um, in the direction that Joe Douglas and company are taking us. Um, But before we get into the show, because we're going to get ahead of ourselves here and we're going to just start talking about these players and everything like that, just want to give a moment to thank our sponsor, Miles Social, for all their support that they do at Jet Nation. Um, if you're a business owner and you're looking to improve your social media status, go to Miles Social and see what they can do for you today. Ladies and gentlemen, I do believe we have a caller on the line. We were talking with our buddy Glenn, and I do believe this might be him joining us. So let me see who's on the uh, phone lines right now. Caller, you are on Jet Nation Radio. Is it Glenn? What's happening, buddy? How we doing, Tuff? Oh, we're doing pretty good. Yeah, yeah, feeling good. I mean, everybody should be right now. It's almost, you know, I'm kind of playing this draft class over my head over and over again, and kind of looking for for where it's all going to go wrong because things just don't tend to go this right. You know, Glenn, that's a great thing because right now, I I told my friends this, we're in the honeymoon stage. Everything's great. We love everything that's going on. You know, we're just waiting, you know, for the the shoe to drop and, and, you know, life to come in and kick us in the rear end like we normally do. But I have to say this is the most positive that I have felt coming out of the draft weekend. We've had some good drafts in the past. Fortunately, we've seen some really, really – 
um, putrid, you know, seasons and records. Uh, but I really can say that, you know, the pieces that are coming together here are hold a little bit more weight than what we've seen in the past. And I'm definitely very excited to see what all these new young prospects, um, you know, that we brought in this past weekend. And not to mention what we've done in free agency and things like that, you know, year two, year three players that are coming into the fold. I'm, I'm excited to see their, prog- um, you know, progression and, uh, you know, you can say, oh, you know, same old Jets now, but uh, I think come Sundays, you know, these guys are going to do the talking on the field, and we're going to be seeing a whole different team than what we've seen in the last two years. So why don't we all just take a moment here and open up just with our opening thoughts about, you know, how we felt about, um, you know, how the first round went. Um, You know, open mic night right now on Jet Nation Radio. Um, Glenn, I know you, you probably have limited time, um, so why don't you start, and then, Dylan, you can uh, follow up after Glenn. Yeah, I appreciate it, Alex. Um, it really was – hang on, there's a little bit echoey in here. Let me step out. But um, it was – you know, the first couple picks, of course, a lot of people had Sauce Gardner going to the Jets. I was one of them. You know, I actually mocked Thibodeau, but you kind of felt like Gardner was one of the top two or three options in that spot. And – while there was, you know, there's always been all this talk about how Robert Sala doesn't value corners, and you know, I, I can see where those, there is some credibility to that if you look at the way the Jets approached corner last off season. I mean, I know, you, I know you can't fix everything at once, but they really did nothing at corner going into last year, which sort of supported that theory. Um, but maybe, you know, look, Sauce Gardner is just too good of a player to pass up. You know, you, the guy, he's just so smooth at corner. He looks so natural. The way he glides, he's a smooth runner. Of you know, we've talked about the length, the the the, the ability to to play man or zone, and the fact that he didn't give up a touchdown in college. I don't know how you could not like that pick. The Garrett Wilson pick, honestly, didn't love it right off the bat. As anyone who's been listening to me for you know as long as I've been doing the pods, I just I don't like receiver that early because of the fact that there are always so many of them in every single draft. However. In recent weeks and months, I've kind of eased up on that because of the explosion in salary that we're seeing at receiver. I mean, receivers are now making QB1 money. So you kind of have to look at receivers the way you look at young quarterbacks, which is get a good one early while they're cheap. And I think this could be a theme where you see teams take one every year. But And I didn't love the pick initially because I wanted Jermaine Johnson. You trade up and get Jermaine Johnson. Now I love the Garrett Wilson pick because now I don't care which slot you took them in. You got the two key positions addressed that, that I wanted, which was edge and corner, and now Wilson is kind of the cherry on top. Um, and outside of that, how do you not love the Ruckert pick? I wouldn't be surprised if he sees a lot more reps than people think because while all three of these guys can catch and they can all block, I think Ruckert might be the better blocker of the three. Um, so once he settles in, you know, that's a possibility. And then trading up, or you know, on day two to get Brees Hall. Again, we've had this conversation a million times. I don't like the idea of running back early. However, I mocked into the Jets at 51. They got him even earlier than that. I just I watched enough enough Brees Hall that I just kind of felt like, you know what, if they get this guy outside of round one, I'm not going to complain. Um, and the fact they try to trade back up into round one for a fourth first-rounder to get him kind of shows you just how much the Jets thought of him. 
But the Brees Hall pick, the guy is absolutely electric. I think he's RB one um, at some point in the season. Michael Carter, we all love him, but he's not a twenty. You know, he's not a twenty carry per guy game. So you knew they were going to take somebody to pair with him. They just go out, you know, and they happen to get the best guy in the class at running back. So you love that. Michael Clemens, of course, uh, was a guy that if you know, I tweeted out a couple weeks ago that I'd, I'd heard his name mentioned on one of the one of the draft pods. And I was ecstatic about it because him, you know, the other guy I mentioned was Cordell Flott. Like, these were guys, and Neil Farrell, LSU, was another guy. Like, those those three guys from, you know, all the games I've been watching, I've seen enough of them that I've been wondering, why am I not hearing their names more often? And I, like I said, I think I tweeted that out a couple of weeks ago. You know, I said, Flott, Farrell, Clemens, why are these guys not getting more attention? Um, and it seemed that in the last couple of weeks, at least on the TDN boards, you saw Clemens climbing into like the 140s, 150s, whereas before he was in the three and four hundreds. So he was starting to obviously pick up some steam, a little bit older, five years of experience in college. But the guy just, as I said, when they picked him, turn on the Alabama tape and watch him in that game. He was absolutely phenomenal. He was one of the guys, you know, and I refer to him as UDFA. If you if you think back, because it was literally the first game I'd ever watched him, and this is when the draft sites had him ranked as like the 700th player. So in my mind, I'm thinking, well, this guy's a UDFA type. But he was one of the guys I was talking about who who ragdolled Evan Neal, who got his hands on his chest pad and tossed him to the ground, and he just had a monster game. Um, and obviously, he picked up steam. Now he's a Jet, and that you know that was another point I'd made a while back is there's some whether it's tight end or linebacker, you know, preferably edge. I'd said let's let's see this team double dip because there is some value there. There are some good edge rushers in this class. He's one of them. You know, reportedly some off-field stuff, but the Jets have done such a good job of bringing in quality guys, quality leaders, team captain type stuff that I'm sure if there was an issue, they looked into it and weren't overly concerned. I'm happy with that. So I love that you you know Max Mitchell, of course, the tackle. Uh, of all the of all the picks, I I watched less of him than anyone leading up to the draft. Watched a tiny bit of him. Just my main my main recollection of him was that he was a versatile guy. He could play either side, which is what makes sense. You bring him in because you don't know who's going to be playing where this year. You don't know who's going to win which job. You don't know who's going to get hurt, and you want a guy who can play either spot if you know if and when he's ready. So really, not a blemish on this class as far as I'm concerned. And I'll be you know no no very late picks, no sixth seventh rounders, but even still it's you know and it's not listen it's not just us guys you know normally it's you know jets fans are trying to be mm-hmm. optimistic, and the national media saying it's you know a, a d draft or an f draft. I saw that there someone did an aggregate the other day, eighteen different sites, not one site gave the jets lower than an a in this class, yeah, I mean for me i just I look at the over the overall class and I see five potential difference makers and I mean day one specifically I think those three picks show you just how how strongly they feel about the positions of need from last season corner edge and wide receiver you can rank them in any order I feel like they were positions that were going to be attacked highly and they they did exactly that they attacked those positions they went up and got your main and they were even trying to come up a fourth time which would have set you know, Twitter and draft world on fire, which would have been awesome. But, yeah, obviously it's no secret to me or to to everybody out there that Sauce wasn't my guy at four, although I do love the pick. Like, he's literally my fourth-ranked player on my board. And my board obviously isn't perfect. I'm not somebody that can sit here and watch all the prospects and grade them or whatnot, but he was number four for me. I think it went uh, Icky, KT, Hamilton, 
and sauce. So for me, I mean, it's just to get somebody that high on their board that they had conviction on, like you said, Glenn, he's smooth. Like there's, it's seamless. His hip fluidity is just great. He turns and runs with all of them. He even said it in his press conference a few times now that Calvin Austin is a type of running like a wide receiver that gave him a little bit of fits in uh, college. And it's true. I mean, you go back and you watch, he, mm-hmm. he did, but he was also young and, you know, he, he learned from that. So I think it's going to be fun to see him grow in the AFC East versus these smaller, shiftier wide receivers like Hill, Waddle, Diggs. I don't think the Patriots have too many shifty guys, but I, I love the pick. Uh, obviously he wasn't my guy, but I'm not going to be mad at it. And i I was confident that they weren't going to take one. Like you said, the history showed that they weren't going to take a corner and I I was wrong. And I'm so happy to be wrong because sauce is such a great player that I don't mind. You just one third of the field is just fine. You don't really have to look at it. Every play, you just set them up Mm -hmm. right cornerback, left cornerback and just say, go. If you want to run cover three, that's fine. Quarters. That's fine. He even said, you want to blitz me? That's fine. So I'm excited for that pick. Garrett Wilson, yeah, that was my guy. He was wide receiver one. Uh, I had him number seven, I think, right before – number six, right before Jamison Williams. So, right there, Jamison Williams and him for wide receiver one. And he's just special. This guy's a technician. We thought Elijah Moore was a good route runner. I feel like these guys are going to be just, like, cutting up those turf beads at camp, just tit for tat, showing up each other, trying to, you know, better each other in such a good way that – that pairing is so great for me. I was happy with a bunch of wide receivers at 10, but I'm so glad that Garrett Wilson was the guy that they settled on. I wasn't a Drake London guy. I'm happy he wasn't on the board. Uh, then they traded up for Jermaine, and I loved it. I was at my buddy's house, and we weren't sure how many of our teams were going to be left picking on the board this late in the draft. We were going to get ready to call it tonight, and Jermaine Johnson, they trade up. I was like, this is Jermaine. It's got to be. Like, How can all these mm-hmm. teams pass him up? And they said it scheme scheme perfect. Like this is tailor made for him. They're so excited to get him. So, I mean, to come out of day three with three day one players that are going to produce at a high level, in my opinion, at least, I think is great. Day two, Brees Hall, running back one for almost everybody out there. I had him literally one spot behind Isaiah Spiller just because I covet that, you know, his size a little bit differently. So I like Spiller a little bit more, but Brees Hall right there, just another great pick. People can say value over position, whatever. If you have conviction on a guy, just go get him. And that video of Bills fans getting mad made my day and I think made the pick even that much better for Jets fans that were still on the fence about it. Rucker might be my favorite pick of the whole draft when it's all said and done. I saw this guy in Mobile up close. And he lit it up. I was, like, more impressed with him than I was Trey McBride. So very happy with him as a pick. Obviously, Jets fan, you alluded to it on your, your YouTube video, Glenn. And if, if you can't watch that video and not get goosebumps for this guy, like, it's just that was exactly what you wanted to see, Jets fan for life, and now he's a Jet. So we've all yep. talked it into fruition, essentially. And then the day three guys, uh, Max Mitchell, he was another senior bowl guy, so I saw him. I wasn't too, too impressed with him. I actually believe on a podcast I said that I wasn't a fan of picking him at all, really. I would pick Matt uh, Willetsko, and that's fine. I don't really care. It's a developmental guy either way, so if they have, you know, feelings one way or the other, I'm not going to say that they're wrong. So it's a good pick, in my opinion. They're going to need insurance for one of their tackles at some point due to just natural wear and tear, injury, contract, history, just everything. There's going to be a need for tackle. 
And then Clemens is a guy I'm not really too familiar with. You've showed me a couple highlights, Glenn, and that's pretty much all the everything I've seen other than what they broke down on the draft day of him and sites I could find of that. But I'm excited to break into his tape. He had the longest, third longest wingspan at the Combine, so I'm excited to break him down and really get some, some good intel on him. I didn't watch too much DeMarvin Leal, so I didn't watch Texas A&M defense. But overall, I mean, this this class is great. You said that 18 sites gave us an A or no worse than an A. So you can't, I don't know, you can't not give it an A, in my opinion. So knocked it out of the park for me. Yep. Yeah, good take, fellas. You know, for me, basically, um, you know, aces across the board, day one, day two, day three. Um I don't know much about the day three guys. Got to be completely honest. Still need to do a little bit of film work on them. Um, from what I've read, you know, the Mitchell kid is uh, is a viable, you know, project. And, you know, maybe within a couple of years, we might be looking to, uh, you know, deploy him as a right tackle. And that's completely fine. I think in the fourth round, that's perfectly fine. Um, the Clemens kid, you know, I've heard a little bit of dirty laundry. So we'll see, you know, how much he's matured and, um, you know, clearly Coach Sala and company are confident that they can, you know, harness whatever talent he has and, and work that into their system. So I'm definitely great about that. But, uh, you know, it was very exciting, you know, anxiety-filled waiting for, you know, the fourth pick. And, and then, you know, I would have sworn that Jermaine Johnson, you know, run that card up at 10 was pleasantly surprised when I heard Wilson. Um, you know, I know a couple of my, my friends, you know, that are Jets fans in my inner circle were like, really? Like wide receiver at this point? But I think it really, you really have to tip your cap to the Jets organization for them seeing how the board was, noticing that there was going to be a trend, looking at, you know, Joe Douglas said, I don't want to get caught up looking at other teams and looking at other rosters and, you know, being worried about what everybody else is going to do. we got to worry about, you know, getting the best guy for our team. And I do believe in that. But they also knew that there was less likely a chance that they could get their guy that they wanted at wide receiver if they went edge at 10 and then tried to trade back. Obviously, you could see how hard it was for them to trade back and come and get Jermaine Johnson because they started at pick 15 and they – finally found a trade partner at 26. So Joe Douglas put in a hell of a lot of work to try to get back into the first round. And the fact that they got the guy that they were on the border, you know, on the fence with at 10, at 26, I mean, it's just, it was a great night. Um, went to bed, um, you know, as that meme of the little baby with the Jets head on sleeping and smiling. That was definitely me going to bed on Thursday night just a great way to start the draft off in general. And then, you know, what are we going to do on day two? And I'll tell you this, that was probably the lightest five hours of sleep I've ever gotten because I was tweeting up till like 1 a.m., just could not go to bed. And I forced myself to go to bed. And once my alarm rang at, at 6 o'clock, I was like, okay, like there's no chance that I'm closing my eyes and going back to bed and not going right to Twitter right now, like, I'm 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 in I'm involved. Like get me in the yep. war room, like all adrenaline at this point. So uh yeah, you know, really, really super, super excited about what they did after day one and then day two and day three. Basically 
taking what were weaknesses and turning them into strengths. I think that's been a theme this offseason, and the Jets did that on day two and then went to the trenches on day three. I don't think you can complain in any way, shape, or form. Um, you know, I know a lot of people were seem to be a little uh, put off uh, by the Brees Hall pick, but at the end of the day, when you look at the trend of this offense the last few years and the fact that when you have an inexperienced rookie quarterback and you don't have a strong run game to back him up, we could see in the first half of last season how bad our offense was without having a good run game. And then in the second half, Michael Carter turned on. Next thing you know, Zach Wilson's numbers also improved when he had a strong run game that he could play with. So Jets saw that. They saw an opportunity. They got aggressive. I think I've been talking about this team getting aggressive and going after who they want for a very long time, and I think we saw a lot of that this past weekend. So, um, Glenn, I'm not sure how much time we have you for. I just had a couple questions that I wanted to, you know, a couple softballs I was going to throw you guys. Um, But what player do you think was the best selection out of this draft. Glenn, we'll start with you, and then Dylan, you can follow up. Well, you know, again, assuming assuming everyone hits their ceiling, um, which obviously they, you know, not everybody will, but I, I think, you know, if, if everyone hits their ceiling, I'd say Jermaine Johnson, but in terms of who I feel has the best chance to hit their ceiling, I'd say Sauce. Um, so while, well, you know, some people can say, oh, it's an easy pick, it's top five, you're going to get a player there. Listen, as Jets fans, we know that's not always the case. Everyone always likes to write off and not give teams credit when they draft when they draft good players early. Um, I'm not one of those. You know, you could have gone with Evan Neal, who I'm not a huge fan of. You know, not everyone taken in the top ten is going to succeed. Um, I think Sauce will, and I think uh, for that reason, being a premium position, young guy, um, my favorite pick. But of course, you know, you got all the the thing I love about the Ruckert pick. Um, or not even a pick, just Rucker, you know, and I was thinking about this the other day. He, he's a guy who everyone talks about how he was underutilized at Ohio State, which he was. And you look at the, the way guys operate in today's, you know, world and college football, I think most guys in Jeremy Ruckert's shoes would have transferred. Most guys would have been like, you know what, I'm going to go to a program yep. where I'm going to see 90 targets and I'm going to put up 800 yards and 11 touchdowns and I'm going to be a first-round pick. And Jeremy Ruckert didn't do that. He said, I'm going to stay here, I'm going to do the dirty work while Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson get all the accolades because we just throw bombs on the outside. And I'm going to block and I'll get my occasional target. You know, I'll get my three or four targets a game, my 40 or 50 yards, maybe a touchdown every few weeks, and I'm going to hang around and do that. And to me, that's like the ultimate team guy. Like I said, especially in today's environment, you know, you see like like hundreds of guys getting in the transfer portal because everyone just believes like the next school will be the place where I can drive and some of them will and some of them are dreaming but Jeremy Rucker you look at the some of the ridiculous catches he made and you just know if he had gone elsewhere he could have raised his draft profile he could have made himself more money he would have been a more celebrated player but he said you know what I'm gonna stay here I'm gonna you know uh, committed to Ohio State and uh and he did he hung around and not a lot of guys do and you know of course you got to love the story he told um or that Joe Douglas told on Rich Eisen that that Ruckert walk up to him at you know at the Senior Bowl and said to him, you, you know I'm from New York, right? You know I'm a Jets fan, right? Like you know right off the bat he made it clear like that's where I want to be, and uh, and Joe Douglas went and got him, so that's awesome. Um, 
and unfortunately, I'm short on time uh, for this show, guys, so I do have to bail now. Um, but I will be listening on my ride home for your guys' answers. And uh, it was great to be able to call in. Glenn, thanks so much. We we love it when you come to join us, bud. And we'll have to pencil in another uh, roundtable talk for sure very soon. All right, most definitely. Take care, fellas. See you later, Glenn. Be well. All right, bye-bye. So, so Dylan, um, who, who do you feel is the best selection um, that we got uh, this past weekend? Yeah, my my uh, my answer is kind of a cheat answer because it's two players, but they come from the same school. So it's both Garrett Wilson and Jeremy Ruckert. Obviously, um, I'm I'm a very offensive minded person. I I think bolstering up the offense was the way to go. I think attacking it with premium positions was also the way to go, similarly, similarly to how they did it last year. I wanted them to mix in some defensive picks, and I'm very happy with the ones that they got. But I think when you look at Garrett Wilson and Jeremy Rucker, like Garrett Wilson might look like he's the wide receiver three on the depth chart. Same with Jeremy Rucker at tight end three. But I think once they put the pads on and get into camp, like this isn't a situation where it's really a depth chart pecking order with the Jets. It's really going to be like a blend of all of these guys making plays. Rucker and both Uzama and Conklin are all going to have a, a role in this offense for sure. So I can see Rucker being that over-the-middle type of guy that if they don't necessarily want to put a Corey Davis on the field and have him run the dig routes over the middle of the field or the post routes or what, what have you, I feel like Jeremy Rucker is that perfect big-body target for Zach Wilson to – to hit in the middle of the field, as well as uh, what Glenn said with his blocking ability. I feel like his blocking ability is what got him noticed at Ohio State, and then you see the the one-handed catches in the back of the end zone that Jeremy Ruckert makes, and you're just like, wow, okay, this kid can really do it all. So he's obviously one of my favorite picks. And then Garrett Wilson, I feel like I always have, uh, for the past few drafts that I've been like kind of studying these guys, I've come away with the draft crush, and it's usually a top-end wide receiver a couple years ago, it was C.D. Lamb. Well, Debo Samuel, then C.D. Lamb. Uh, last year, I believe it was Waddle. No, 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 it was Elijah Moore. Duh, duh, stupid me. It was Elijah Moore. And then this year, it was Garrett Wilson and Jamison Williams. So the fact that they got back-to-back, like, my draft crush wide receivers is just the best feeling ever. Garrett Wilson was, like, one of the better route-running receivers of the top-end guys. I know Jamison Williams is more of that vertical threat, which I think the Jets need, but – Garrett Wilson is so much of the vertical with the horizontal as well. I think he gives you way more options than Jameson Williams might, and that's kind of why I was leaning off of like a Chris Olave type of player as well. And I feel like Garrett Wilson is going to be able to do all the things. And we've heard it before with the, the coaching staff. They want their wide receivers to do everything, and blocking is included in that. And I'm not exactly sure – if he's going to be the best blocker on the team, but he's not going to shy away from blocking. And I think that's what Mm. they look for more so than how well can you block is, are you scared to block? And Garrett Wilson's not. So you add the the separation, the route running, his hands, and then the blocking, which they covet. And he just has it all. He's not one of those high wrath guys, but we talked about him on the draft trend segment uh, right before the draft. And he was in that tier of, they hit, he hit all the other threshold marks except for relative athletic score. And I actually ran it back, and I created his own relative athletic scorecard without his 
short shuttle time of a 4.36 because every wide receiver ran a historically low short shuttle in Indianapolis, and that's why the running backs and other skill position groups didn't do it because the wide receivers were not doing it well and they just it looked bad. So if you took out his 4.36, his RAS would be an 8.78, which bumps him into elite RAS. So Garrett Wilson is exactly the type of wide receiver that I couldn't have been more happier. And the fact that they got both these players, especially seeing Ruckert up close, I feel like I had a better like a better foundation to stand on for a type of player like Rucker and, and everything just pointed to, you know, them being Jets. And I love the fact that they took both. Yeah. You know, uh, really, really love the Rucker kid. Um, you know, we'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that later as we, uh, you know, after our little round of quick questions here, we're going to go round by round and break down each pick um, and do the deep dive because, um, what else are we going to talk about? We've been waiting months for this week, this draft right. to come. So why, why would we rush now? Let's take our time and, you know, let's dig in here and sink our teeth into these picks. But I think the best selection for the Jets, um, I love every pick. Um, you know, I can't say that, I guess, for the fourth round because I don't know too much about those guys. But, you know, day one and day two, I love every pick that they made. I'd have to say the best selection was Sauce Gardner. Um, I know I've talked about you know mm-hmm. this defense and how much it's been hurting over the last uh, year or two. You know, last year we gave up the most points of any defense over 500. Um, you know, we were 31st with interceptions last year. We we had seven total. I believe the Raiders were the only ones worse than us that had like six, um, which is just absolutely crazy. Um, and then you look at the sack um, totals being like 33 sacks. 26th ranked in the league. So the fact that the Jets were able to come away and, and bolster up their defense, um, you know, I lean more towards Sauce than I do Jermaine Johnson, even though Jermaine and Sauce were in my top favorite five prospects um, when we did that show, you and I, uh, Dylan. Uh, I just think that mm-hmm. last year's experiment of not going out and getting a true number one corner uh, because the Jets really believed that they could go forward with what we felt was going to be a Bless Austin and Bryce Hall combo. And then a couple weeks before the season starts, they let Austin go, and Eccles gets this starting job. And we're like, wow, are we really going to take a fifth round and a sixth round, um, you know, one-year guy and a rookie uh, and, and go to battle? And, you know, these guys held their own for most part, um, but there were times in which – they showed their inexperience and, you know, we let up a lot of yards and not all of it is on those two individuals. It's a team, you know, sport and there's nine other guys that are supposed to do their job too on defense. But uh, yeah, the Jets looked at it and said, okay, you know, uh, we, we, we put them out there. Bryce Hall had a pretty nice season. Um, The last few weeks of the year, he got picked on a lot and teams were targeting him heavily which shows that teams were not afraid to go his way. You know, we covet him and we think that he's great because he had, I want to say, 16 pass deflections. You know, I I think the narrative changes. If you turn, take four less pass deflections and turn four more interceptions, maybe teams aren't going that way as much. So it doesn't seem like teams are, you know, as fearful as we fans think they should be of Bryce Hall. So now they bring in D.J. Reed who we were already penciling in as our number one corner. And now we draft Sauce Gardner. 
So the Jets clearly have said, okay, we experimented with the young kids. Uh, we feel confident that the new guys we brought in are going to do just as good a job, if not better. And if anything happens, it's, it's actually kind of nice to say we have Eccles and Hall behind Reed and Gardner, and I'm ready to go to battle with four guys as our top four corners. Um, you know, I exclude Michael Carter because that's another starter position, and that, that's his nickelback position. And I, I like what he did last year, too. You could say that out of all the corners last year, Michael Carter might have been the one that was showing the most out of everybody. Um, so sure. now you know, we took what seemed to be like a borderline weakness on our team, and we've turned it into a strength. Um, now, obviously, this is all speculation. We're looking at the roster, and we're looking and we're projecting players to do certain things. E.J. Reed's coming off one of his best seasons in his career. Um, Solis Gardner, my opinion, quarterback, um, cornerback number one in this class. Um, I understand Derek Stingley is easily as talented um, and maybe has a higher ceiling, but the Jets didn't want to get cute and take a player that had some injury concerns. You know, Dylan, I think like you said from one of the press conferences Joe Douglas had, we want to make sure we get the surest guys when we come at, come away with our draft picks. We don't want any questions yep. with or, or, you know, second-guessing ourselves on anybody. We want to make sure that we're going out and we're getting the best player that can help us right away. And I think Sauce Gardner meets that, um, fits that category. So that brings me to uh, my next question, Dylan, just before we go ahead and, and get into, uh, you know, each round. What do you think was the most exciting moment of this draft? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, oh, that is actually a really tough one. I think, I think the fact that they did go wide receiver at ten was the most exciting part for me because we've said it before. We were all in on them trying to trade for Debo Samuel, even if I think both of us agreed mm-hmm. that we would give up the tenth pick for Debo Samuel. So I think the fact that they, they held firm on their plan, which was to add a top light wide receiver, they didn't sway from that path, not thinking. They told everybody numerous times, we need to upgrade the, the path catching position. We need to add playmakers. And I think the fact that they went out and did that shows that they have a process that they're sticking to. They're not going to, you know, reach so to speak obviously i'm not saying jermaine johnson would be a reach but the rumors that he was the pick at four i think those were a reach but we could get into the smoking rumors later but the fact that they mm-hmm. they held true and they stayed they stayed consistent with what they were telling at least the public and, and the fans you know for someone that eats up all the the press conferences and tries to play detective i love hearing let's upgrade playmaker and they actually upgraded Playmaker in, a, in, a, in one of the best ways they could have. Absolutely. Okay, so um, we talked about, you know, what we thought was the best selection, um, what was the most exciting moment. I, I think I'd have to say coming back into the first round and uh, taking Jermaine Johnson, um, mm-hmm. that, that was probably the most exciting. I, I remember I was, you know, sitting in the bar and I'm looking uh, at my phone and saying, okay, it's getting pretty late. They're near the back end of the draft. I don't think they're going to be trading back in. That was the only reason why I was still hanging around at that point 
and I'm literally about to get up out of my chair and get ready to go. And next thing you know, I get a tweet and an update, and I look up at the TV, and the Jets are back on the clock. And I'm sitting there, and, you know, I, I, I started talking to, like, random people, and, and they were like, you talking to me? And I'm like, oh, yeah, Jermaine Johnson's coming right now. It's happening. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, that, that's what they do. And, and then people look at me and they're like, wow, you really know your stuff. And, you know, I'm not going to go that's patting great. myself on the back. But um, it was just all too obvious because we looked at the skill set of the, the player. We know that the Jets need help with, at the linebacker position with their run defense. Jermaine can do that. They need another speed rusher or an athletic, twitchy kind of guy that can get after the quarterback because most of the guys that we have as our pass rushers, you know, you can definitely say Carl Lawson is is probably a power rusher just by his body mold and frame. You know, he doesn't have the length, the traditional body type of an ebb rusher, but he's strong as an ox, so, you know, he gets it done that way. You look at John Franklin Myers, he's a little bit more balanced, can work inside and outside. You know, Bryce Huff is just a man on fire. I would consider him a good combo of speed and power, maybe a little bit more power. Um, And then you bring in Jermaine Johnson, who I think is going to be a little bit more of speed and finesse. And uh, I love what he brings to the table as far as um, a run defender. So for me, that's the most exciting moment of the draft. And uh, let's just get right into this first round, Dylan. Um, I already spoke about Sauce Gardner um, to the point that fans are probably, you know, nauseous about it. So everyone knows that I was ecstatic with that pick. Um, And I was definitely probably the most shocked between, um, between the Brees Hall pick and the Garrett Wilson pick Um, probably is the most shocking out of the the two. Um, But yeah, I really, really like that Garrett Wilson pick. Um, you know, to go out there and Joe Douglas, you know, sticking to what he said is that we're going to go and get the best player that we think is going to impact our team right away, which is Sauce Gardner. That's really going to help our defense. And then his second agenda was bringing in talent for Zach Wilson, and that's exactly what he did. Um, My draft crush at wide receiver is Chris Olave. I mentioned that a couple weeks ago. I go back and forth between Wilson and Olave. I think Olave um, is the guy that has exceptional route running, but he's probably more of that Z wide receiver where he needs to work a little bit further behind sure, the line yep. of scrimmage to negate that, that you know man press, give him a little bit more time to work on his release as he tries to beat his man in front of him. I think Wilson is – probably the most polished guy of all the receivers here. He's not the six foot three. He's not the contested catch guy, even though he can do that too. Um, But he'll beat you mentally with head fakes and shoulder fakes. And he has a plan every time he goes to the line of scrimmage on how he's going to beat the man in front of him. And I like players that come with a plan, especially at the wide receiver position. Um, What he does best, I love the way he works on those those shorter routes, the, the slant routes, the hitch routes, um, those comeback routes, those seven to ten yard sideline outs where they're you know toe tapping their their feet and securing the ball. 
Um, I think those are the type of plays, those quick passes. Um, you know, we haven't really had many wide receivers that can create separation besides, you know, um, Jamison Crowder and Elijah Moore. We're moving on from Crowder and we're bringing in Garrett Wilson. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, I think that this pairing is going to be the two dynamic receivers on this offense that help Zach Wilson get to hit to where we want him to be. So very, very excited in regards to the Garrett Wilson pick. And uh, you guys put me onto it. I think it was you, Dylan, who had mentioned the yak, the yards after catch, and how important that is on mm-hmm. offense. So I'm not going to take your light there because that's your take, and I'll let you elaborate on that. But to, to end my the first round um, reaction for me, you know, obviously Jermaine Johnson, the most exciting moment. I love the fact that he comes with, you know, 18 and a half sacks and 24 and a half tackles behind the line of scrimmage with his 106 career tackles in college. I mean, basically it's like one third of the tackles that this guy created were behind the line of scrimmage. So if you want to talk about getting a player that's going to be impactful for your defense, look no further than Jermaine Johnson. I'm getting goosebumps, but I've been on the mic for a while, so I'm going to pass it back to you, Dylan. Go ahead and uh, give us your take on the on the first three picks from the first round. Yeah, starting chronologically, saw. I mean, we talked about it length, six two and six eight, so basically six three, hundred ninety pounds, but he ran a four four one, and I mean, at his size, people moving four four one isn't normally, you know, the that's not where we look to to slot them as far as speed. I, I compare it to like. Traylon Burks, everybody was giving him some grief because he ran a 4-5-5. And I feel like the fact that if, if Traylon Burks ran a 4-4-1, everybody would be going nuts about it. So the fact that the Sauce Gardner at his length, obviously he's not as big as Traylon Burks, but the fact that he at his size can get in and out and go 40 yards, 4-4-1 is great. Um, little historical fact, he was the highest drafted Cincinnati player in history. They said that on the broadcast. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and they're actually moving into the the Big 12 Cincinnati next year, so that's cool. They'll be a, a group a Power 5 school instead of a group of five school. So Cincinnati moving up in the world. Um, headlined by none other than Sauce Gardner, obviously. I said it earlier, fourth player on my board, he was exceptional. He's a, my quarterback one by far. Derek Stingley fell down my board a lot. Um, I think he ended up out of my top 10 even. So there was a sizable gap between him and Derek Stingley. Um, I think he'll obviously be cornerback one from day one. I don't see any reason why DJ Reed, maybe they, you know, it doesn't matter if they put DJ Reed on their best receiver or whatnot, but I think Sauce Gardner will be viewed as cornerback one moving forward. Um, You spoke about Bryce Hall and the depth at cornerback earlier. And it's, I, I don't really see how Bryce Hall is, you know, better than quarterback four right now on this team. And that's not a bad thing. Like for being a fifth round pick with the injuries, sure. He might've been a second round pick. People still like to say that, but he was a fifth round pick. And at the end of the day, I think what he's given the team is, you know, more than fifth round pick production. But if he's just a depth guy that comes in 
you know, with an injury to somebody above him or what have you, you know, big, big situations where they need multiple corners, more than two perimeter type corners out there. Sure. Maybe, but I think right now he's probably cornerback four. And if you do count Michael Carter in the overall cornerback group, I think he's, you know, cornerback five based off talent. I think Brandon Eccles is going to be a better corner than Bryce Hall. So needless to say, Sauce Gardner, best corner in the room. Um, obviously, you know, DJ Reed's the veteran, but Sauce Gardner definitely the most upside potential and, and just pedigree, I feel, being the fourth overall pick. Garrett Wilson, 10th overall, uh, 5'11", 183. So, again, not, not a huge wide receiver. There was talk that they were going to covet size. Like above the rim was the <clears throat> phrase that was thrown around with the Jets a lot because Zach Wilson needs a contested catch player that plays above the rim. So everybody circled in on Drake London. And truthfully, I was just like, give me the small guys that are shippy and get those yards after catch that you talked about. I think Garrett Wilson came in second of all of the rookie wide receivers at the top end of the draft behind just Jamison Williams whereas Drake London was second worst in yards after catch. No, Traylon Burks was the first yards after catch, then Garrett Wilson. But Drake London was second to worst of all the top wide receivers. So that goes to show you that they covet yards after catch more so than size on the perimeter for contested catches, at least in my opinion. Um, we spoke about his RAS. He would be an elite RAS player if he took out his short shuttle, which was just awful. Um, I don't know if it was due to the new turf at Indianapolis that they were running so fast on that they weren't changing direction as fast on. I'm not quite sure. But it, they were the only position group that ran the short shuttle because they were the first group, and no one else did at at, uh, at the combine. So that's, that's a little telling. Um, and, yeah, the pairing just between him and Elijah Moore, I, I'm so excited. This will be my first year going down to Jets training camp. And, you know, we're, we're both going to be there. And I'm so excited to see these two guys, um, obviously going oh, yeah. up against Sauce Gardner, but going up against each other, pushing each other, Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore. I feel like if we fast forward a year from now and Garrett Wilson's the best wide receiver on this team, that's fine. And if you go back last year, I said the same thing about Elijah Moore, and I truly believe it's possible. These guys, <clears throat> I'm not going to make a wide receiver one on the team, you know, they're both wide receiver one. I feel like Corey Davis is the odd man out, <clears throat> excuse me, and he's the only one that's not a wide receiver one on this team. So both are going to push for 1,000 yards this season. Um, a, plus, a plus pick for me, just, that's my guy. Uh, Jermaine Johnson, um, they traded up. Obviously, we've talked about it numerous times now. Uh, just to give context to the trade, they traded the 20 – or the 35th overall pick, their third-round selection, 69th overall, and their second, fifth-round pick, 163rd overall. And they received back from Tennessee the 26th overall pick and the 101st overall pick. So, obviously, they didn't – if you look at the point value chart, they didn't overpay to come up for Jermaine Johnson. And everybody loves to, you know, oh, but the 69th pick, we could have done this or this. No, I think if you have the ammo, you've been collecting these draft picks, you've been stockpiling the capital, even the salary cap dollars, which don't, I mean, they come into play a little bit being a first-round pick, but just 
the resources that Joe Douglas has accumulated over these last few years, like this is the situation you built all of that capital up for to go up and get a player you have conviction on. So to me, you're never going to get any, any, you know, questions from me as far as the pick. Obviously Jermaine Johnson is just on top of the icing on the cake because he was by far the best player I had available on the board. I was so concerned that Baltimore was going to take him. Uh, there was a rumor that Baltimore wasn't going to let him get past 14. Uh, Kyle Hamilton was on the board at 14, so I think that changed their mind a little bit. But then they also had another yep. pick because they traded Marquise Brown for the 23rd pick, which then became yep. the 25th pick. They, they did a little bit of moving, and they got Tyler Linderbaum. And that pick scared me because I thought it was going to be Jermaine Johnson. So when the Jets moved up, I looked at my buddies. I was like, we're getting Jermaine. Like, this is the pick. I'm so just like you in the bar. I was so ecstatic. I knew it right away. I didn't need the the people on Twitter that tipped the picks, you know, 45 seconds early so they could say they were first. I didn't need that. Mm. It, it was Jermaine, yeah. 100%. Um, you look at his RAS, 9.22 RAS score. So we're up there, elite RAS score. And senior bowl player. So I feel like he's checking all the boxes here that we talked about last week in the draft trend. My number 10 player on my big board, edge three behind Hutchinson and Thibodeau. And there was a sizable gap for me between him and Trayvon Walker. I don't think Trayvon Walker should have been the pick, and I'm, I'm not going to talk about the Jaguars' decision there, but I like Jermaine Johnson more than Trayvon Walker, so I'll say that. You get him 25 picks later than where the Trayvon Walker went, and I'm super happy. Uh, first step explosiveness, I mean, that's all it was about at the Senior Bowl. I wrote down in parentheses, men versus boys, and it truly was. He hit so many people with the spin move, and that's one of his best moves is the spin move, which uh, is just so so fluent. So you just love to see it. So Senior Bowl, he, he popped on the scene. Uh, obviously, he didn't really impress too, too much on his film. His film looks good at Florida State, but what he did at the Senior Bowl, to me at least, was more impressive than the three or four games that I watched of him. Uh, he has a ton of pass rush moves in his toolbox. You saw it throughout the course of the week there. Um, I said it scheme fit perfectly into this wide nine, high motor player, four down player. You know, he, he'll he be there all the downs. If you, if you ask him to play special teams, this guy would do it. 4-3 um, defensive end, like a true 4-3 defensive end, like no doubt about it. He could probably lose some weight and play 3-4, but I want this guy with his hand in the dirt. Um, and every answer this guy gave you, in his press conference afterwards was very team oriented. And I think that is, that's very telling. Um, someone who's had a very rocky path to the NFL and had so many, you know, so many outlets, so many exits on the highway, so to speak, to just not keep going. And this dude is like, no, I'm staying the course. I'm going to make it. He was on last chance. You, we talked about this in our group chat and, he said in his mm-hmm. press conference that during that season, they asked him to play a bigger feature role on the show. And he was like, nah, I, I want to be a football player. I don't want to be an actor. And I thought that was yes, great. I did like, hear this, that. Dude is, this dude is so about the team and just getting to meet his teammates and just putting the pads on and lining up next to his brother. So A plus for me. I mean, it's just how, how do you not give all of these an A plus? So to me, no – I, have, I just have no problems with any of these picks at all. It's just perfect first round for me. 
Absolutely. Yeah, you talk about bringing in blue chip players. Uh, I think the way that we had talked about it um, with our draft scenarios here, um, I had my picks a little in reverse. I think I said my perfect scenario would be taking Sauce at four, Jermaine at ten, and then coming back into the first round and grabbing Chris Olave. That would have been my dream scenario. Right. But to be honest with you, with Wilson and Olave, like 1A, 1B, you know, do you like somebody that, you know, can work behind the line of scrimmage and in the intermediate to medium, you know, um, second-level routes and, and also give you, you know, some deep third ability in Garrett Wilson? Or do you really like the the flashy kind of player um, that's looking to cook fools and make them look bad on Sunday and, and stretch the field like Olave can do? Um, you know, it's really just what's your personal choice and, and what player fits your scheme better. And, you know, for a while I was on the notion that Olave was that guy, but, you know, you kind of changed my mind and how I'm looking at this offense and it made a lot more sense with Wilson. So um, really, really love the, the way that that had turned out. So, you know, aces across mm-hmm. the board. Um, I know we want to do a little bit of a grading here. You know, for me, I think it's it's A's across the board. I, I would do the whole draft as an A, not an A+. plus. I don't want to be like that guy, but I think it's a solid right. A. Um, Dylan, you know, I know you um, had some grades and stuff like that. How did you grade out the first three players uh, before we get into the second round? Sure, yeah. I think, like you said, overall it's got to be an A, but breaking it down pick by pick in the first round, I had Sauce Gardner. And everybody's going to say I hate Sauce Gardner after I say this. I had him as an A minus, and that's simply okay. because the the board fell in such a way that I thought the Jets would prioritize other positions. So me mm-hmm. being wrong, mm-hmm. I guess, influences that from being an A plus to an A minus. I would have taken Icom or KT. I'm not going to, you know, sit here and say, oh, if KT is the next Michael Strahan for the Giants, I'm going to be mad we took what could be the next Darrell Revis. Absolutely not. I'm so happy with all three mm-hmm. of the picks. I just think the board fell in such a perfect way that they could have taken other players. So A minus there, but really not a, a plus type of player. So, And then Garrett Wilson, Jermaine Johnson, A plus. So if I were to right on. put it on in the first round, it would be an A plus for the first round. Very nice. Jets had the cheat sheet for the test on the first round. I love it. Um, yeah, but now, and, you know, I'm cracking my knuckles here. Um, I'm rolling my shoulders <laughs> a little bit. I'm getting a little excited because this was definitely the most shocking pick, uh, for me throughout the whole weekend. Um, you know, I always tease the fact that the jets could go out and, and take a premier running back, you know, early on in the draft, you know, um, I was one of those guys that got chewed up when I was saying, you know, if the Jets have the right free agency, they could go out and get Leonard Fournette. And people chastised me for that. And I was saying last year how, you know, they should prioritize getting a running back like Javante Williams in the second round, and they had the opportunity to do that. Denver came up and grabbed them just before we could because they were probably thinking that's what we were going to do. Um, we end up with his running mate, Michael Carter, which is perfectly fine. You know, was that a fourth-round pick, by the way? I think it was a fourth, right? It was early fourth. Yeah, yeah, so it wasn't a high the, pick. The it Jets was like pick 107. 
So the Jets decided to say, you know what, we don't want to sweat looking at guys on the board anymore and wondering, you know, what if. Let's cross our fingers and do a prayer circle and just hope that everything falls in line for us. No. They did their homework, and they decided to go out and not only get what they felt was the best corner to start, then they got what they felt was the most polished wide receiver out of the class, which was Wilson. And then one of their guys that they coveted, we assume, was the number eight guy on their board. Um, and, well, possibly could be Wilson, but we don't really know. Um, we assume that, you know, Wilson and uh, Gar- Gardner were ahead of Jermaine Johnson. But, um, yeah, they had Brees Hall, you know, as one of their top 20 guys or something crazy like that. Um, who's to say that they weren't looking to try to get back into the first round for a fourth time and go and get take Brees Hall? Um, we have no idea if that's what they were trying to do. But, they saw the Houston Texans sitting there and one of the guys had mentioned it. I forgot what um, broadcast I was watching because I was watching three different broadcasts throughout the weekend. Um, But they were saying that, you know, Houston could be looking for a running back and Brees Hall was still on the board. And I went and I looked and not only was that an option for the Texans, but they were the 32nd ranked rushing team last year so it was absolutely you know evident that they could have gone out there and taken Brees Hall just before the Jets did at their 38th pick they were sitting pretty at 35 and they probably were you know thinking we don't have to make a move here Brees is going to fall to us but since they decided to go after Jermaine Johnson and they used that 35th pick as a part of their package to get back into the first round, they knew that the chance of getting Brees Hall was probably not as likely and that they would have to go make mm-hmm. another deal. And to be honest with you, for a fifth-round pick to move up two spots, media pundits will say position value wasn't good there. Um, they will say that there's other places that we should have went. People will say you never take a running back that early. Well, folks, you know how I am. I always like to go take a look at the history of what we got going on here, and I put together some notes. Dylan, we were talking about this um, before we started to go on the show here. Mm -hmm. The last time the Jets had a rushing attack that was in the top five was in 2014 where they were the third best um, running rushing team in the league, and that was with Chris Johnson and Chris Ivory. And prior to that, 2015, they had Chris Ivory and Bilal Powell, and Chris Ivory in 2015 was the last 1,000-yard running rushing back that the Jets have had. So it has been over seven years since the Jets have had a 1,000-yard rusher, and they have not been inside the top 15 since 2016 as far as a running team. So they've gone from in 2017 and going to current. 18th rank, 26th rank, 31st rank, 23rd rank, and last year we were the 27th ranked team as far as running the ball. So the Jets have been going with this media pundit narrative that running backs don't matter and you can find any Joe Schmo in round four through six and you'll be fine. Your team will be fine, they tell us. Well, I'm looking at the, the rankings and I'm looking at our history and there's evidence here that if you want to improve your, your running game, 
Obviously, you need a good offensive line, and I think the Jets have done a very good job over the last three years of rebuilding this offensive line. And then you go out and you find yourself some young thoroughbreds like Michael Carter and now Brees Hall to, to add into the mix. And I do think that now the Jets have given themselves a position to not only have to break the streak of non-1,000-yard rushers in Brees Hall, but to maybe put together a dynamic duo that will give nightmares to the AFC East teams and anybody else who wants to, to you know, come face us on Sunday. Very, very excited about this pick. Um, you want to talk about giving this team an offensive boost, Dylan? I went ahead and I looked at the total touchdowns that the Jets have gone and put together with their new wide receiver running back and tight end. It equates to 92 touchdowns from college coming into this offense now. 24 total for Wilson, 56 for Brees Hall, and 12 for Jeremy Ruckert. And you're talking about Jeremy Ruckert, who was buried as a receiver on that team with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, who was getting all those targets. So that's an untapped resource as far as I'm concerned. So the Jets went in and got their position value at pick four and pick 26 with edge and corner. They decided to get a playmaker at wide receiver at 10 rather than trading, you know, a a whole boatload of picks and then paying out the nose quarterback money like Len Naughton said earlier in the show. And they decided to get a rookie deal with a fifth-year option on a a playmaking wide receiver. I mean, aces across the board as far as I'm concerned. So I'm super excited about this Brees Hall pick. The Jets finally went ahead and prioritized the running back position to help our quarterback and and give our offense a possible identity. Um, So you will hear no complaints from me. You know, I'm not going to be the guy that goes and says, oh, well, the Jets, you know, for position value should have taken another edge rusher. Like, really? We don't have enough trench guys that we've acquired, you know, over the last couple of years. I mean, we've extended um, John Franklin Myers midseason last year. We signed Carl Lawson in the beginning of the year, and unfortunately we didn't get to see him, but he's coming back this year. We bring in um, – we, re, we re bring back um, Nate Shepard. We have Sheldon Rankins under contract. Oh, um, there's another guy there that was a first-round pick named Quinnen Williams that has yet – to take this league by storm. And I think this is going to be the year with, with this personnel around him. I think Quinn and Williams might be the biggest benefactor from all of these moves that we've made. And then you throw in Solomon Thomas. Um, and where's the other kid that we drafted? Um, Jonathan Smart. I might've butchered that, but Tenzel. you know what? We go ahead and uh, go for it, Dylan. Tenzel Smart. Thank you very much. Sorry, brain fart on my end. Um, Good for at least one of those per show, just so you know, folks. Um, So there it is. (laughs) But, uh, you know, to go out and say, oh, let's let's get an 11th line, um, you know, lineman in the second round that's going to be a bench guy because his position value on paper is higher than a running back when the Jets' running game was absolutely, you know, dog crap. I mean, no disrespect to Michael Carter because he kind of came on later on in the year. The Jets had no running game in the beginning of the year. So now we've got two viable running backs 
ago with the new weapons that we have here, this is a completely different offense. This is not the same team that we had last year. And I'm getting pumped, Dylan. So I'm going to throw it back to you because I can go all night long about this pick. I was going to say, it sounds like you just really didn't like the pick at all by that analysis. <laughs> no, this, this, this is just another <laughs> right. This is just another A A grade pick for me. Brees Hall. It's just sure you you move up two spots, and like you said, they absolutely the Texans were in the market for Brees Hall. And I don't know if you you didn't catch his clip of him on stage right after he got uh, you know he went up and met the commissioner or whatever, but. He said that the Jets were trying to come back up in the fourth or in the first round to get him. So there, that is mm-hmm. confirmed at least on his end that there was rumors that they're trying to get up there. So they were trying to get him as early as you know, right around when they got Jermaine Johnson, realistically. But Brees Hall, you get him at thirty-six, like you said, give up a fifth-round pick, five eleven, two seventeen. He ran a four-three-nine. So I mean, the fact that he's Pushing 220 pounds as a running back and runs a 4.39 is just scary. Um, at the combine, he was explosive. He had a 10 foot six broad jump and a 40 inch vert. Yes, 4.0. That was the best of all the running backs in the class at the combine. Um, to me, I said it earlier, my RB2 by one spot. I had him 41st overall. So if you look at it in terms of value, they got him at 36. I had him at 41. So that's perfect right there. Uh, if, if you told me that Brees Hall was going to lead the entire rookie class in rushing yards, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I, I truly believe that he will be or could be the best running back out of all of the entire class drafted. Now, obviously, he's not the bell cow, and there might be some some bell cow running backs out there that were drafted, like Damian Pearson. Houston has potential to be a bell cow type of back to have more opportunities, but but Brees Hall very easily could lead this class. And if you look last year, Michael Carter and Elijah Moore did something historic with Zach Wilson and led the team in their respective yard, Zach in passing, Michael Carter in rushing, and Elijah Moore in receiving. I believe that the combination of Garrett Wilson and, and Brees Hall could do the exact same thing. The most rushing on the team, the most receiving on the team. I wouldn't bat an eye. I wouldn't be shocked in the slightest if that was the case. So, you said it. Give up a fifth round pick to go get your guy, and it's not even a swing in my opinion. You're not taking a swing on Brees Hall. Brees Hall is one of those sure picks, like high floor and high ceiling player. Like there's so much left in his tank, so to speak. And I think that he is the perfect complement to Michael Carter. They can use Michael Carter in like a less is more sort of way, like more efficient role. I don't, I don't know if it was you or Glenn said that Michael Carter is not the running back that you want to give 25 touches a game to. And when they relied on him in that type of a role down the stretch last year, he ended up getting hurt. And then all you had was Kevin Coleman and Ty Johnson. So obviously now you eliminate the (laughs) – and Austin Walter, who did do well for a little bit, but exactly. You don't want to rely on these guys. And it showed. A pro football reference has the Jets at 32nd in rushing attempts. So they, they, they just tried the least also to run it, probably because they knew it wasn't that good. And they were 27th in rushing yards. So, again, they're not that good in the running back room. They needed an upgrade. I viewed this position as a must-add 
in the draft. Uh, obviously, I was mocking one around, you know, pick four, or uh, not pick four, in the fourth round, uh, pick 111, 117, kind of where they took Michael Carter last year. I was thinking they were going to kind of replicate that formula. And truthfully, I'm more excited with the fact that they did this because you have the chance to come away with a true home run hitter in Brees Hall who can carry the load if you need him to. But at the worst, he could be like a, the A.J. Dillon of like the Packers offense, how him and Aaron Jones are a one-two punch. I could totally see this with, with him and Michael Carter being a one-two punch where he's just like the between the tackles, third and one, fourth and one, just give it to me and I'll, I'll run up a nose tackle face mask with it and just get those yards. So you're not, you're not going to get a, yeah, you're not going to get a bad grade for me on this one. I don't care about positional value. It's not, it's not a high pick that really drastically changes this entire draft landscape. I think there were some players you could have yeah. taken, but you address those needs in the first round. Like you said, edge rusher, Ebiketti was there and I loved Ebiketti, but what are you going to do with Ebiketti as your fifth edge rusher when you could have Brees Hall staring right at the face as your best running back? So, yeah, A grade for me. Oh. I'm excited. I think I think he'll come away with uh, some really impressive productive production in his first year. Absolutely. And, you know, just to put a bow on this one here, just a couple stats that maybe people don't know, Brees Hall had a 24-game touchdown streak while he was in college. And uh, according to Randy Lang, um, who wrote an article just the other day, um, never fumbled the football. So, um, you know, there's wow. there's a, like some special things that, that are coming from the, these draft picks here. Um, you know, you talk about Sauce Gardner, who never let up a touchdown in college. Brees Hall never fumbled the ball. Um, Jets were horrific within the red zone last year. Now they have players that specialize in scoring like Garrett Wilson and, you know, Brees Hall. And then you talk about Rucker coming in and being a big red zone target with those acrobatic catches that he made and in very, very small opportunities that he was provided. So I really, really love, you know, all these little um, tidbits that, you know, have been coming out with all these players here and uh, you know, what he, what Brees Hall can do as a receiver, that's one thing that I think people, um, you know, he's just not a guy that, you know, is, is just like a power back or anything like that. He's got a good combination of speed with his four three nine forty, um, you know, racked up over eight hundred yards receiving, um, or sorry, seven hundred yards receiving um, throughout his career with, uh, you know, six receiving touchdowns. So he's a dual threat guy, and like you said, a one two punch. I don't think it's going to get any better. If you talk about all the combinations of backs that are in the league right now, um, you know, there's not many that I don't think are going to be, you know, or have such high as a ceiling as these two guys here. So really, really pumped in regards to that. And uh, the fact that the Jets went and got their guy and they were aggressive for it, I will never complain with them doing that. So, Take a look at the clock here. We got plenty of time, and uh, now we are moving on um, to our next round. But oh, I have one thing, one more thing, Dylan. I'm sorry, one more thing I have to share with you guys as far as draft history with the Jets. I, I almost forgot about this one. So, if people aren't aware, um, you know, I already talked about how 
um, poor the Jets' running game has been since they have not prioritized the running back position. They've taken a few fourth-rounders um, over recent years. The most successful fourth-rounders, I would say, are Michael Carter from last year at 107, and then the next guy that's in line is Bilal Powell, who was our next fourth-round pick that actually did something um, decent for this team. You know, there's LaMichael Pirine from Joe Douglas's first draft. Uh, from what we saw last year, does not look like he is the back that LaFleur wants in his system, and I don't see that changing anytime soon, being that, you know, they brought in another running back in this draft, and they brought back Tevin Coleman as well. Um, you know, all signs point, you know, downward for uh, the stock of, of LaMichael Pirine. And then prior to those fourth-round picks, um, the next running back that we got was a seventh-rounder and Tommy Bohannon, um, who was a great fullback for our team for a few years. And um, the, pre- the last premium pick that the Jets had at running back uh, was Sean Green, I think, back in the, the 23, um, the 2000, and uh, make sure I get this one right. I had it right here. Oh, okay, it was 2009 draft. So since 2009 was the last time that the wow. Jets used a premium pick on the running back position. And look what Sean Green did. They were due. He was a great back. I mean, mm-hmm. we replaced LaDainian Tomlinson with Sean Green, which I never thought I'd ever say. But it did happen because um, that's what happens it sometimes works, when yeah. you get right on those guys in those early rounds. So um, that definitely – that should be enough evidence to, to – uh, justify the pick and um, I will always as I said earlier um, take talent overall talent over positional value any day of the week so we got a few more picks um, to discuss here we got plenty of time Dylan so let's move on and let's get into the third round here and let's talk about Jeremy Rucker I'm gonna uh, throw the ball. Wait, did you go last time? Or you went last time, so I'm, I'm up this time. Okay. Yep. So, yep. Um, Jets have gone out and taken one of the weaknesses from 2021, which was the tight end group, and they brought in two under-the-radar free agents, guys that are kind of within their prime window. C.J. Uzama, a little bit older, um, but still showing some good things on the field. Uh, and we got Conklin on, uh, was our second tight end that we signed. He had his best career year with Minnesota last year. Um, so Jets go out and make some lucrative deals, decide to take a weakness and turn it into a strength. I think that this is, those two guys are going to help us improve our run game exponentially. And now you go ahead and you bring in a young tight end, which we've all been talking about, sign one, draft one, well, they signed two, and they drafted one. So who knows? Maybe some people yeah. are listening to us, Dylan. You know, who's to say that our, like our words so. are, are falling on their ears? We would like to think so, for sure. And mm-hmm. um, I'd have to say, the Long Island kid, all right, we've seen the pictures on Twitter of this kid in a, in a Curtis Martin jersey in a three-point stance. He's been a Jet fan from day one. His father has been advocating for the Jets to go out and go get him. And what do you know? The Ohio State 
kid from Long Island is now a New York Jet. Nothing gives me or makes me happier than to see a player that goes to his hometown favorite team and wants to be a Jet. I mean, you don't hear that often to where team players want to come to this team because we've just been trashed and by so many different, you know, outlets and not to mention our record stinks over the mm-hmm. last few years. So it it holds weight. But this is a kid that grew up watching the Jets. One of his favorite errors was the Curtis Martin error, and that was one of mine as well. And, uh, you know, Joe Douglas makes it happen and brings in this young kid that I think you can argue is tight end one in this class. A lot of people will go with McBride because he had 90 receptions and, you know, it's just nothing but highlights from his film from last year. But I think that there are a little bit more questions with what McBride can do as a complete tight end compared to Jeremy Ruckert. I think that Jeremy Ruckert is a better blocker, a better run blocker and pass protector. And I think that his route running is, is right where it needs to be as far as a tight end is concerned. And I think he's got short hands, and we've seen the acrobatic catches and from his highlights and things like that. So I think he's going to be a big red zone target. He'll be listed as number three to start off the season, but I really, really think that as the year goes on, we're going to be seeing his stats and his numbers uptick to where he's getting more reps than maybe Uzama or Conklin. That's just my way-too-early prediction with this kid. But um, – you know, if you don't believe me, go look up um, Chris Sims' takes on Jeremy Ruckert as he had him as tight end one in this class, and he talks about the things that, you know, people don't talk about. You know, the things he was doing on the field when Chris Olave is getting the football and Garrett Wilson's getting the football, and they're targeting other receivers, and he's going out there and doing things that you normally wouldn't see you know, an inline tight end do, flexing out, working behind the line of scrimmage, you know, running those intermediate routes and running crisp routes, you know, and that stuff you'll never see or you'll never hear people talking about. But Chris Sims has an eye for certain players, and every year he puts a list of his favorite guys, and a lot of them hit. So I'll go with his eye rather than mine. And uh, super excited about Jeremy Ruckert. Throwing the ball to you, Dylan. Break it down. Yeah, isn't it always nice when somebody who has uh, a little bit more knowledge than we do says similar things about a player? And it it gives you that little bit of confidence that, hey, you know, maybe I'm looking at these players and I actually do, do know something. So I'm glad that Chris Sims was all over Jeremy Ruckert because, I don't think he's the only person I heard that Jeremy Ruckert was not necessarily the tight end one, but definitely in the, the mix for tight end one. So I'm not surprised that some teams viewed it that way. Um, for me, just on my board, uh, 50, 50, ooh, excuse me, 55th player on the board for me. So you get him at 101st overall in a draft. So absolutely great value. Uh, he was one spot behind Trey McBride for tight end one, so you could really flip-flop them. Uh, best in-line tight end in this class, in my in my opinion. I think his run-blocking run upside 
gives him a leg up on people like Trey McBride, who, although he is a good run blocker, I think Jeremy Ruckert is an excellent run blocker. So I think that's something that they covet with him. Obviously, the pass catching is, you know, just natural. Um, He played soccer as a kid, so he was a goalie in, in soccer, and he attributes his hands to when he played goalie in soccer. So it's always nice that he has a background in, in catching, so to speak, that he he's built for this. He was born to do this. Um, yeah, just super impressive at the Senior Bowl. Uh, coaches said that he's never satisfied. He pushes himself to do more. The, you know, the whole Jets fan side of it just is extra fuel on the fire for this to not only be my favorite pick, but somebody that's just so easy to root for. You Like, you want to see these guys succeed. You grow up in – just like us, we have a favorite team since we're young, four, five, six years old, and we dream of playing on on that team. And now Jeremy Rucker gets to go live that dream. So it's it's just an amazing feeling to see. You can't help but smile just thinking about his dreams coming true, his family's dreams coming true. And and you mentioned it earlier too, just about the tight end position as a whole, like. I wrote it in big letters right here. Over corrections are better than half measures. I, the tight end group was abysmal last year. We said it almost every time we talk about the position. It was god awful. They they needed more out of the position, and they went and they attacked it hard. You mentioned it. Sign one, draft one. But it, yeah, sign two, draft one. And I think that was the position they needed to do it at. I'd rather them do it here than at wide receiver, honestly, because we didn't need to add three bodies to the wide receiver room. We needed to add bodies to the tight end room. Jeremy Ruckert was the best body to add, in my opinion. I think Trey McBride went 55th overall. So there was a huge gap between where I viewed the two players. I had them both 50s range and one went in the 50s, one went at 101. So the value there on Rucker versus McBride is just exponential. And I think the upside Absolutely. is there too. I think Trey McBride is a better plug-and-play tight end if you really need somebody to be your first tight end and the, the reliable guy. But, but Jeremy Rucker is going to work his way up the, the, uh, the depth chart very quickly. And by the end of this season, I wouldn't be surprised if you know they're using him in ways that they were starting the season using Uzama in because I feel like Uzama is more of the, the inline blocker type, you know, dog mentality at the line of scrimmage. We're really getting the defensive end's face. And I think that's what Jeremy Ruckert does too. Obviously you can flex Jeremy Ruckert out like they want to do with Tyler Conklin. So it's kind of a blend of both the veteran signings, but, but I think more so leaning to the Uzama role of hand in the dirt really make contact at the line of scrimmage, use your physicality, and then, hey, leak out and be a receiver and get wide open in the middle of the field for Zach Wilson on these bootlegs. So, yeah, Jeremy Rucker, I, 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 I hate to sound like a homer, but I, it's, an a, it's an A pick. Like, I just I don't get how you can't, for me at least, my board's not perfect. I'm not some great scout looking at all the all 22 games, but he was ranked 55 for me. So to get him at 101, just it's an A, no other words, but just an A. Yeah. And I do recall that you were mentioning him as, you know, one of your favorite picks out of this draft. And, um, yep. You know, I kind of thought that we were going to punt on tight end. I didn't really think that it was going to be, um, one of the priorities that we had left as we were going through this draft, I mean, you know, 
we kind of thought, um, you know, Petrie in round two, um, you know, I think that if you want to debate, you know, where the Jets could have or should have went in that round, you could easily say, you know, safety, that, that Petrie kid is, you know, mm-hmm. got like honey badger kind of, you know, skill set. And who doesn't want a player like that on this team? But you think about it, you know, Jets signed LaMarcus Joyner. We got robbed of it, you know, weeks before the season started. And same thing with Carl Lawson. So, you know, the Jets want they, – they don't want to just, you know, forget about that. They want to see, you know, they believe that Joyner can be right. a productive player in the system. And they yep. were definitely unhappy with the production they had at strong safety – so they go out and they prioritize that with a three-year, I think, $33 million deal to uh, Jordan Whitehead. So now, you know, those are our top two guys. And, and then you look behind them, you know, you got Riley, you got Ashton Davis. Um, I'm going to butcher his name because yeah, I know him as like uh, Willie Philly or Philly Willie or something like that on Twitter. Yeah, Philly um, Will. Will Park. <laughs> Philly Will, right. You yep. know, so he's a rah-rah guy and – um, I love everything that he's doing um, on on Twitter. Every day he's advocating for this team, and you know he's he's oh, tooting yeah, that he's that Jets horn, and he's bought in right now. So you know, I really really hope that you know we didn't overdo it at the safety position. He ends up being one of the casualties because he really seems like he's bought in to what we've got going on here. And you put him with uh, with Hardy, who's another you know a special teamer and a rah-rah guy. I think those two guys, you know, we'll, we will not have a quiet or boring locker room with those kind of guys on, on the roster. So as much as it would have made sense to go out and target, target a player like that, uh, I think the Jets are very comfortable with what they currently have because the entire secondary is now has a, has a facelift. Um, you're talking about two new corners. You know, we didn't see Joyner last year, even though he was part of the two team. Two new yep. Um, so now you got two safeties. Um, that that's a whole you know uh, redo as far as the the Jets secondary and with the tight end position being another weak position. Now we've got three new bodies to roll with moving forward. So the Jets did really really yep. good about going in and attacking and addressing um, their positional needs. And and people will say, you know, and these are old narratives. So if the Jets have been following these old narratives. What have we learned from these old narratives? They have not worked for us. Maybe they have worked for other teams, but we needed to go with nuance and a different direction and target, you know, the players that we feel suit best to what we got going on right here and now. So they do that with the secondary. They did that with the tight end position. I was really anticipating linebacker, but – you know what, maybe the Jets are comfortable with, you know, Mosley leading, you know, the group. And then behind him, you got Quincy Williams, who did a really, really good job for us. Maybe some room to be desired as far as coverage uh, ability. And then you've got, you know, Sherwood and you've got Nasserul Dean behind him. So with those four, you know, two of them being on rookie contracts, you know, Quincy and Quinn and brother, you got the brotherly love connection going on in the defense. Mosley's going to be our team captain. Um, I think they like what they have, and I respect that. And I hope that, you know, this really works out for all of us here. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, okay. I think, yeah. I just saw your message, Dylan. I, I absolutely agree. Um, sure, yeah. So we've gone pretty deep on these guys here and neither of us have, have done too, too much film on Mitchell or Clemens. So maybe we'll go ahead and we'll save, um, those two guys and we can analyze them into next week's show. Um, we've already gone about 90 minutes into tonight. So, um, yeah, why don't we wind it down and uh, we, can, we can work on our closing out the show here. So, you know, any last thoughts um, that you want to discuss or any notes that you have that you didn't get to tonight, Dylan, that you want to share with uh, the audience? Um, yeah, pretty much just that, like, like I said at the top of the show, like, truthfully, I think we can look back at this class, maybe not at the end of, the 2022 season, but maybe the end of the 2023 season, maybe 2024 season and say potentially was the draft that, excuse me, turned things around for the Jets. I obviously Zach Wilson is the catalyst and he'll always be, you know, the 2021 Mm -hmm. class is always linked to that pivot point. But this, this class of surrounding Zach Wilson with the talent is, in my opinion, more important than the actual swing of the quarterback itself, because now you have to prove that you can put these players around him, both offensively and defensively to help him reach his fullest potential. So that, that was my first thing. It's five, five potential difference makers. And I I believe it. And then the second little thing is back on March 8th. So almost two months ago, we did a podcast, you and I, and this is prior to free agency, so that had a little bit to do with it. But we just did a small draft segment, and we talked about just picks four and ten. And the two players mm. that I put there were Kyle Hamilton and Sauce Gardner. So <laughs> we've been we've been on the Sauce train for quite a long time. I know I fell off when I was with Ikem and KT and all those guys, mm-hmm. but. But we've been on sauce, so I, I I would like to pat both of our backs just a little bit because we've been, I think, between both our mocks, our final mocks last week, we nailed it with mm-hmm. the, the position yeah. or the, the player itself at the slot. You know, we took almost all our guys, Glenn included. He took Brees Hall, so he had that covered. We've taken mm-hmm. in all our mock drafts before. Like, we were hitting it. So I think, I think yeah. we deserve, you know, to, to give ourselves a little bit of a praise because we we've been on top of it and we do we try to do you know the best we can with the little information we get from all these out out like these sources and you got to pick through mm-hmm. it obviously so to say that we were on sauce since March is is a good feeling. Oh, uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, rarely do situations like this occur. You know, from from previous drafts in the past. You know, I could say. Um, you know, years ago, um, before I was a part of the Jet Nation uh, crew here um, and doing the, the podcast and everything like that, there was a contest um, with the mock draft. And, uh, you know, I think it was Glenn and Joe were running it at that point. And I was one of the callers, an avid caller. And I called in and I had guessed that they were going to take Jamal Adams. And I was one of the only few people that had guessed that. And I, I won a signed football from the team, um, from Jet Nation. And I guess that's kind of how it all started with the Let's connection go. here. And, and uh, you know, since that point, you know, 
I think uh, Mims was a guy that, you know, I really liked. And, man, that that stings to even say it now. Um, I know Wesco yeah. was a guy that was on my radar that I really, really liked. Um, I had done a mock draft a couple years ago with Nate Shepard, believe it or not. Um, I don't know. It was probably, you know, either Draft Dudes or, you know, one of the Locked On Network podcasts where, uh, you know, and Walter Football, one of the sites that we had talked about, um, you know, every now and again, you know, those players on those lists, you know, end up being one of the guys we select. And I saw Nate Shepard on there, and I didn't know much about him. I'm seeing Fort Hayes State, and I went to go look it up, and it was a pretty intriguing story. And lo and behold, you know, the Jets go ahead and draft him too. So every year there's always maybe like one guy that, that I get right, and I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I remember reading about him. To go into this draft this year, and, you know, like I had said a couple weeks ago, I said I've already prepared myself for the Jets not to have sauce. So, you know, that's why I was going. They're going with Thibodeau. Um, they're taking their edge. You know, it makes sense. That's what we need. Mm-hmm. Um, I had just talked myself out of it. I was not anticipating that at all. Um, and then it happens. And if you haven't seen my reaction video, go to my Instagram account. I posted it, a short clip on Twitter. Um, Great. Didn't know my friend was recording me, but he did. Um you know, it's uh, definitely not PG-13 on that video on Instagram, but, uh, you know, forgive me being caught in the moment. Um, but then you talk about Jermaine Johnson coming out, you know, and holy crap, my, you know, my ears were on fire. I just felt like I could just erupt when I when that pick happened. And then, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of like teasing the Bryce Hall thing on day two. And I remember putting a poll you know, and a lot of people got involved and a lot of people voted for defense in the second round and people were saying we should get Petrie or, you know, um, we should take one of the Penn State linebackers and, and you know, let's bolster up mm-hmm. our defense. And, and I was all about that. I was like, you know, or maybe we get, you know, some depth at the, at the O-line. Like, I wouldn't even be mad at that, but I really wanted Brees Hall. And I knew in my mind, I was like, they're not going to do it because this is not, this is not me the you know the past history of what the Jets have done in the draft, and the Jets went the complete different opposite direction, and you know they get two players in my top fight favorite five, the best running back in the league that I or in the draft class that I was not anticipating, and then Ruckert, who's somebody that we've been talking about as a mid round pick to throw into the bunch, you know, as somebody that we could groom with Zach Wilson, and they go ahead and they do it. So for me, this is hands down one of the most exciting drafts and coming away, you know, with one of the biggest smiles. And, you know, I, I, I walked in to um, my office at work and everybody knows how big of a Jet fan I am. And they're all just waiting for me, you know, to come out and, and talk about my reactions and stuff like that. And it was very exciting. So, um Awesome, awesome experience this weekend. I hope everybody else is on the same page as us here. Uh, just really enjoyed all of it. And, you know, now I just want to fast forward and get to August and see, you know, what these guys know, look dude. like up, up close. You know, August cannot come soon enough. I want to go to training camp I and wait. I want to see what these guys got going on. Um, you know, but we got to be patient that, now. Those it's shows are going to be loaded. Now. Those, those Oof, draft shows, my I Lord. can just. I tease those right now, those August uh, training camp draft, uh, you know, 
preseason shows that we're going to do, oh, they're going to be loaded with content. So everybody's going to be in Absolutely. for a treat when, uh, when we're both standing there. You're looking one way, I'm looking the other way, just writing all the notes we can and coming together at the end and putting it all together. It's going to be great. I'm so excited. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, You know, and now we're going to have to start working on, you know, a timeline here for the next few weeks of the shows. I'm going to be looking to maybe get some people to come in um, for interviews, and, and, you know, I'm going to reach out to Green Bean, Love his takes. We've got to get Green Bean on the pod so that we can get his Definitely. perspective on how he feels about this, you know, um, draft class. So we're going to have some good stuff coming up. You know, be sure to tune in, JetNation.com. Go to the forums. I mean, they are absolutely – they've been going crazy for, you know, since last Thursday. Um, let's be honest. Um, tons of hits, tons of conversations, tons of, you know, message boards about every player. So – if, if you don't know, go to JetNation.com, one of the most active NFL forums in the league. Um, and, yeah, not to mention our YouTube scene and everything that Glenn's doing with his live reaction videos. And you got Green Bean on Instagram and collaborating with numerous people on YouTube. A lot, a lot of content coming up here. But, um, Dylan, uh, let's pencil in Max Mitchell and uh, Michael Clemens into – Next week's show, these are the trench guys, the fourth-round picks that Joe Douglas took. Um, Have not watched a lot of film on either of these guys, so we want to bring something to the table and, um, you know, give us a few days to to go find some film on these young men. And then, you know, next week we'll be sure to cover them. And uh, maybe we'll be talking a little bit about what players, you know, were left out there in the free agent market that the, the Jets should bring in for camp. And, uh, you know, we, we are definitely intrigued with the thoughts of our listeners on what you guys think the Jets should do moving forward after having a home run uh, draft. Mm-hmm. Hey, Dylan, um, any last uh, words or thoughts before we uh, sign off for the night? No, I, uh, I just wanted to say, though, I did put out feelers with Phil about potentially doing a mailbag episode so follow nice. Asset Nation. Make sure you're looking out for it. He might throw one out. So one of these weeks when, you know, news is a little slow, we can always jump in and do a mailbag and answer all your questions, whether it's draft-related, you know, training camp-related, whatever the questions are. I feel like we should do a mailbag. We owe it to the people. Right on. Yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. And um, it's good to get the fans' inter- interaction, you know see where their perspective is and what they want to listen to on this show. So, uh, yeah, let's definitely get into that. Um, Very, very good stuff. All right. So long episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, Tune in next week, Tuesday, 6.30 p.m. for a little bit more draft talk. And then we're going to start talking about how the Jets and Joe Douglas should continue to build – what we hope is going to be the turning point for this organization. So thank you for tuning in. This is Alex Rallo signing off for Dylan Terriman. Everybody have a great week. This is the time to be excited. So there's nothing wrong with that. And as always, let's go Jets. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, 
Go Jets! Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.